The following sermon, entitled And Peter, was preached on the morning of April 17, 2022, at Hope Protestant Reformed Church in Redlands, California. If you enjoy listening to our sermons, we encourage you to come worship with us. For more information on upcoming service times and Bible study opportunities, please visit our website at hopeprc.org. Let's open God's Word this morning to the book of Mark, chapter 16. Mark 16. We will read the whole of the chapter. Our text will be taken from verse 7. Mark chapter 16. And when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome had bought sweet spices that they might come and anoint Him. And very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they came unto the sepulcher at the rising of the sun. And they said among themselves, Who shall roll us away the stone from the door of the sepulcher? And when they looked, they saw that the stone was rolled away, for it was very great. And entering into the sepulcher, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, clothed in a white garment, and they were affrighted. And he saith unto them, Be not affrighted. Ye seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Behold the place where they laid Him. But go your way, tell His disciples and Peter that He goeth before you into Galilee. There shall ye see Him as He said unto you. And they went out quickly and fled from the sepulcher, for they trembled and were amazed. Neither said they anything to any man, for they were afraid. Now when Jesus was risen early the first day of the week, He appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom He had cast seven devils. And she went and told them that had been with Him as they mourned and wept. And they, when they had heard that He was alive, and had seen of her, and had been seen of her, believed not. After that he appeared in another form unto two of them as they walked and went into the country, and they went and told it unto the residue, neither believed they them. Afterward he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat and abraded them with their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they believed not them which had seen Him after He was risen. And He said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the Gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In My name shall they cast out devils that they speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, He was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the Word with signs following. Amen. Text for this morning's sermon is taken from verse 7. There we read, go, but go your way, tell his disciples and Peter. 
that he goeth before you into Galilee, there shall ye see him, as he said unto you. And really, the text for this morning's sermon consists of those two simple words and Peter. This morning's worship service has special significance for two reasons. First, we come together this Resurrection Sunday to celebrate the fact that our Savior arose again from the dead. That is, on this Sunday in particular, we commemorate the fact that our Savior who suffered His blessed body to be laid in the grave on the third day arose again from the grave from the dead and now lives Secondly, this worship service has significance because we partake, we have the opportunity of partaking or witnessing the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. A sacrament that sets before us the gospel of Jesus Christ in a visible manner and thereby serves to confirm our faith, to strengthen our assurance. And now, because both of these things fall on the same Sabbath day, it's really important that the sermon that we hear this morning relates to both of them. And it's for that reason that we have chosen the text that we have for this morning. Mark chapter 16, verse 7, in those two words, and Peter. Because on the one hand, this passage clearly relates to the resurrection of Christ. This is, after all, Mark's recounting of the resurrection event, the events that took place on that resurrection morning. What we have here in the words of the text are the words of the angel who is giving this message, relaying the message of our Savior's resurrection. On the other hand, this passage also has application to the Lord's Supper because the primary application that arises out of this passage is that of assurance. Assurance that all of our sins are forgiven. Even our great sins. Even our lamentable falls. Because that's the significance. That's the reason why Christ sent this angel to relay this message to these women, which message included, go tell the disciples and Peter. So this morning we look at this passage using those two words as our theme, and Peter. First, we will see the assurance needed. And second, the assurance provided. It was very early Sunday morning, the first day of the week, when a group of women set out toward the grave, the sepulcher, where Jesus Christ had been buried. Their purpose in going there was to anoint the body of Jesus Christ. They intended to perform this one last act of love and devotion toward Jesus Christ. Their concern as they set out 
was how they would access the body of Christ. For they knew that a a great stone had been rolled in front of that sepulcher. But in spite of their concern, nevertheless, before it was even light out, they had set out that Sunday morning. But now as they made their way toward that sepulcher, and when they came toward to the sepulcher, they would have been utterly amazed at what they saw. Because already, while they were some distance away from the sepulcher, they could see that this great stone had been rolled aside. It made them wonder. And they came to this grave all the more quickly. And it's what they saw inside that was especially significant. For what they saw inside certainly would have included what Peter and John will later on see later on that same morning. The fact that there's no body there. The, the linen grave clothes just sitting there with the head covering lying off to the side. But what is more, these women see an angel. Two angels, in fact. Verse 5 of the chapter we read, and entering into the sepulcher, they saw a young man sitting on the right side clothed in a long white garment, and they were frightened. This is an angel, and we know from a parallel account there are in fact two angels. Only one is mentioned here because he is the one who speaks to them. So already what's in front of their eyes is a, an occasion for amaze, amazement. There's much for them to process this resurrection morning. But what is even more amazing is what they hear from this angel. Because this angel has a message for these women as it's recorded in verse 6. And he saith unto them, Be not affrighted. Ye seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Christ sent this angel to communicate this good news, this glorious news of the Gospel that He who had laid down His life that Friday evening had now taken His life up again. That He who had been laid in the grave, the Father raised again from the dead so that He is alive. And really, you're seeking Him in the wrong place. He's not here. But He has risen. And along with that came the message in verse 7, but go your way, tell His disciples and Peter that He goeth before you into Galilee. There ye shall see Him as He said unto you. So he commit, this angel commissions these women to go and tell the other disciples this glorious news. And now this history all by itself is significant for us. Because it sets before us the great truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And really, there's nothing more important than the fact that our Savior who laid down His life then arose again from the dead because it's the resurrection of Christ that changes the cross into a victory. Apart from the resurrection, the cross is really a defeat. And that was the perspective of this group of women who had come to the grave there 
this Sabbath morning. For them, there was bewilderment. There was puzzlement. They had put their faith in this Jesus of Nazareth. They had believed that He was the Son of God. That He was the Messiah. But then He had died on the cross. And that left them wondering, was all of our faith in vain? Were we deceived? They viewed the cross as a defeat. And we would have to view it that same way if we did not have this history. But exactly because all four Gospel accounts and the Scriptures as a whole testify that Jesus arose again from the third day. That's what changes the cross into a victory. And that's why we as a congregation always view the cross that way because we're looking at it through the lens of the resurrection. And we see the cross for what it truly is. The payment for our sins so that we might have forgiveness. That is the significance of this history and this event. But now, embedded within this history, in this narrative, are two seemingly insignificant and inconsequential words in verse 7. And Peter. The angel says to these women, go your way, tell his disciples, and Peter, that he goeth before you. That is, these angels, these women, were to make sure that this message was relayed especially to Peter. They were to mention him, bring this message to him by name and single him out in this way. And that raises the question for us, why? What is the significance of this? For after all, we recognize that every single word on the pages of Scripture is inspired And therefore, there's no wasted words here. There's some meaning behind these two words and Peter. Why are they added? They are added because Peter needed assurance that his sin of denying Jesus Christ was really forgiven. That comes out when we back up even further and look at the broader context and remind ourselves of what had transpired Thursday night between Peter and Jesus Christ. Do you remember how Jesus warned Peter? Simon, Simon, Satan hath desired to have thee to sift thee as wheat. And do you remember how Jesus then addressed all of His disciples and said, all of you will be offended because of Me because the shepherd is about to smite his sheep. And how did Peter respond? Well, he dismissed the first warning that was directed specifically to him. And then when Jesus said that all will be offended, Peter, full of self-confidence and self-reliance, was quick to say, Lord, though all these others might offend You, I would never do that. 
And then when Jesus said to him, Peter, Simon, at rather, before the cock crows the second time, you will have denied me three times on this very day. And Simon still doesn't get it. He's still filled with self-reliance so that he says, though I would have to die for you, I will not be offended. I will not deny you. But then what happened next? What happened after Jesus was arrested? What happened while Jesus was being tried? What happened in that courtyard outside of the home of the high priest? Simon Peter did the very thing that Christ said would happen. Three times he denied his Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He took an oath. He swore to these men, I do not even know that man. And what was it that led Simon Peter to deny the Lord Jesus in this way? Was it the fact that he too had been dragged before the tribunal? Was now facing the prospect of death? Was it the fact that he was now about to be tortured and tormented and he's been withstanding the whole time and at last he denies the Lord Jesus? No. It was but a slave girl inquiring about His relationship with Jesus that was the occasion for Him to deny His Savior. And do you remember what happened immediately after He denied Him the third time? Yes, the cock crew. But there was something else. Because just at that moment, Jesus was being led from one room to another. Jesus was in the courtyard. And thus, Jesus was able to look directly into the eyes of Simon Peter with a piercing gaze that would have reminded Simon of the warnings he had heard but hours before. That look would have exposed his sin. And having thus been confronted, he went out and wept bitterly on account of his sin. And so now consider where Simon Peter is at from a spiritual point of view. He is repentant to be sure because those tears that he cried after he left the courtyard of the high priest, were indeed genuine tears of genuine repentance. But he has no assurance whatsoever that his sin would be forgiven. He would have been completely miserable the next couple of days. How much did he toss and turn at night? As his mind went over and over and over, what had taken place there? And what he had said and what he had done? Did he sleep at all the next 
couple of days? How much was how much were his thoughts consumed with that piercing gaze, what it meant, what Jesus was trying to communicate to him and that moment that their eyes met. No doubt he wondered, will I ever be forgiven this sin? After all, Jesus taught us while He was still living that quote, He that denieth Me before men shall be denied before the angels of God. And now, Simon Peter's done that very thing. He's denied the Lord Jesus. Does that mean he's fallen away from grace? Does that mean he has now separated himself from the love of his Savior? That's where Simon Peter was at from a spiritual point of view that Sunday morning. Do you know that feeling, child of God? Is that your experience from time to time? Perhaps that's your experience this very Sabbath morning. For after all, we have examined ourselves in the week gone by. And we have seen our sinfulness. We have been led to see by means of God's Word, by means of law, that we have not kept His commandments. And so perhaps you are in the same place as Simon Peter. Does he still love me? Would he, could he really forgive even that sin? That sin I committed this week or that sin of youth that I committed so long ago? Perhaps we're thinking my sins are so Numerous, my faithfulness is so great that I'm not worthy of communion. I have excluded myself from his fellowship. That sense of not knowing God's favor is a part of the miserable effects of sin. And that's the teaching of the canons of Dort. In Head 5, Article 5, the Canons of Dort are one of the creeds that we officially hold to. And in Head 5, Article 4, we are taught that though we are the objects of God's grace, nevertheless, as believers, we can still commit great and heinous and enormous sins. We are still liable to these lamentable falls. The Lamentable fall of Peter and his denial of Jesus Christ is the example given there in that article. And then in Head 5, Article 5, we read about the seriousness of those sins and the miserable effects, the, the consequences of those sins. And this is what we read. By such enormous sins, however, they very highly offend God, incur a deadly guilt, grieve the Holy Spirit, interrupt the exercise of faith, very grievously wound their consciences and sometimes lose the sense of God's favor for a time. 
until on their returning into the right way of serious repentance, the light of God's fatherly countenance again shines upon them. But what's especially noteworthy is that phrase that they sometimes lose the sense of God's favor for a time. And perhaps that's your experience this morning. It certainly was Peter's experience after he denied the Lord Jesus Christ. And it was exactly because of that that when Christ sends this angel to bring a word to these women, that He tells them, go tell the disciples and Peter. Because Peter, more than anyone else, needed assurance. And by this message, Jesus would provide that assurance. So we've seen why it's needed, and now we look at the provision of assurance. For indeed, that was the intended result of this message. Because after the angels spoke to these women, they did exactly as they had been instructed to do. We read in verse 8 that they went out quickly and fled from the sepulcher, for they trembled and were amazed. Neither said they anything to any man, for they were afraid. But then they would have gone and delivered this message. And now most likely, this message comes to Simon Peter after he himself had already been at the grave, the sepulcher of Jesus Christ. Because when that group of women came there first thing in the morning while it's still dark, one of the individuals in that group was Mary Magdalene. But we know from another account that when she sees the stone rolled away, she immediately concludes they must have, someone must have stolen the body of Jesus So she turns immediately and goes back to Jerusalem to find Peter and John. And then the rest of the women continue on without her. But that means Peter and John would likewise make their way to the grave. And for whatever reason, whether it was because of different paths or different timing, Simon and John did not cross paths with this group of women. So that Peter and John themselves came to the grave, peered in and saw the evidence of the resurrection. They saw the linen grave clothes, the head covering set apart from the rest of it without the body of Jesus there. And they believed that Jesus had risen. And now almost certainly it was after that that these women would have come to Simon Peter with the message, Jesus is risen. He's alive again. And Peter, the angel told us to make sure you know this. We all heard it. He mentioned you by name. And now imagine the effect that had on Peter. 
Imagine how that message must have thrilled his soul. My Savior has not forgotten me. This would have provided him assurance. Especially because Simon Peter had been mentioned by name. It's important that he is, his name is explicitly mentioned because apart from that, Simon Peter likely would have concluded, well, this is great news that Jesus is risen, that He's alive again. But this news is not for me. I have cut myself off. I have separated myself from His love. I am not meet to be called a disciple. But now the fact that these women are given the instructions, go tell the disciples, and Peter. The fact that he's mentioned by name explicitly would have countered that thinking that Simon would have otherwise experienced of this is great news, but it's not news for me. This doesn't apply to me. Because those words, and Peter, means it does apply to you. And that becomes even stronger when we remember the significance of that name, Peter. Jesus does not say through the angel, go tell the disciples, and Simon. And that's significant because remember the name Simon was this man's name before his conversion. The name Simon is consistently used on the pages of Scripture with reference to who Simon Peter is by nature apart from grace. And it was for that very reason that Jesus had deliberately used the name Simon when He was warning him about the temptation to come. What did He say? He said, Simon, Simon. He used the name twice when He was about to tell him, Satan has desired to have thee. To sift thee as wheat because He was talking to a man who was standing in his own strength full of self-confidence, self-reliance in that moment. But he does not use that name now. Because the message is go tell the disciples and Peter. And by those words, Jesus was communicating to His disciple. Though you acted very much as a Simon, I still view you as a Peter. I am not done with my saving work in your heart and life, but I will continue my work of grace to change you more and more from being Simon and more and more into being Peter the Rock. And that would have provided assurance. And so too would have the the overall message of the resurrection. Because remember, that is the main message 
these women were to communicate. Verse 7, go your way, tell His disciples. Tell them what? The message that they were told in verse 6, be not affrighted, ye seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He is risen. He's not here. The, the main overall message that these women were to bring is that Christ has risen again. And that too would have been a part of the assurance for Peter. And now to be sure, he would not have understood the, all of the meaning and all of the significance of that already that early on. But at the very least, he would be able to see the cross was not in fact defeat. He would recognize that our hope was not in vain. That our faith was indeed founded upon something. This would have provided assurance. And that's true all the more for us who do recognize the significance of the resurrection. Because the resurrection is the proof of our justification. It's the infallible evidence that our sins have been fully paid for. Because if Christ, and we speak hypothetically, if Christ had failed to pay for all of the sins of all of His people, He would not have been allowed to rise again from the dead. If there was but one sin that He had not atoned for, He would still be in the grave. And so the very fact that He arose again is the proof. They have all been paid for. There is not one of them remaining. There was no one sin too great. No lamentable fall. That was too much for Him to bear. Nor was there any one sin so seemingly insignificant that he, he forgot about it, that he, he left that one behind. No. They've all been paid for and His resurrection is the proof. So that the message for Peter is that I have atoned for even your lamentable fall. I have paid for even your denial of me. With those words, go tell the disciples and Peter, Jesus was providing assurance. And He does the same for us this morning. In the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. Because in the Lord's Supper, he comes to us in the same way. He comes to us personally, individually, to assure us that Christ's saving work applies to me. That's part of the significance of the Lord's Supper. It's more than something that we witness, that we take in with our eyes, but for those who are confessing members of the church, the elements of the Lord's Supper are passed out to us They're placed in our hands 
as individuals and personally. We partake of the elements. We partake of Christ by means of faith. So that the message of the Lord's Supper is really the exact same message. In the preaching, it's go tell the disciples. And in the Lord's Supper, it's and Peter and you, child of God. If we had the time, we would take a sharpie and we'd write your name on each individual plastic cup and we'd make sure that you receive the, the plastic cup that had your name written upon it. So that you knew that was the point. So that you could walk away knowing, believing, assured that what Christ did on the cross of Calvary some 2,000 years ago, He did not simply do in some vague general sense for His people, for the elect. But He did it for me. He says to you, and Peter. Only take out the name Peter and insert your name. That's a part of our assurance. And that assurance is indeed strengthened by the truth of the resurrection. And you see, there is a connection here between the Lord's Supper and the resurrection. And now certainly, the breaking of the bread and the pouring out of the wine point us ultimately to the cross and His death because His blood was poured out there. His body was broken for us. That's what's on the foreground. But yet, there is still a connection to His resurrection. Because had He remained in the grave, there would be no way for us to partake of His body and blood. It's exactly because He arose again that He is able to communicate His body and blood to us. So this morning we rejoice as a congregation. We celebrate the resurrection. Because in it we can rejoice. All of my sins have been paid for. We can rejoice. There is indeed forgiveness. We can rejoice knowing that He now feeds and nourishes us with His own body and blood. And we can rejoice because He gives us that blessed assurance that reminds us that even our greatest sins, even our lamentable falls have likewise been forgiven. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father which art in heaven, we thank and praise Thee for the good news of the Gospel. 
and the blessed assurance that Thou dost give to us by means of Thy Word and by means of the sacrament. Declare to us that our sins are forgiven and feed and nourish our hungry and thirsty souls. Hear this prayer for Christ's sake. Amen.